It's good to be together today, to come together on this first day of the week. I was just thinking a moment ago about the songs that we've just sung together this morning already. Walking alone at Eve, won't it be wonderful there? Where could I go but to the Lord? No, all of those songs had a tremendous message within them, motivating us and giving us tremendous incentive to not only live faithfully here, but to look forward to the reward that God has for those that are faithful. As I stand before this assembly today, and certainly each of us are thankful to be able to be here, I'd like to encourage you to reflect for just a moment on the subject of revival, what you can see on the wall behind me. Revival. It might well be that you, at least in other circumstances, have heard gospel meetings referred to as a revival. We aren't going to talk specifically about gospel meetings this morning, but we will use at least an aspect of the Word of God to point us in the direction to make application of the subject of revival. You may have noted in the lesson text a moment ago in Habakkuk chapter 3, that might not be the most familiar book in the Bible to us, but nonetheless, as an inspired book, isn't it amazing what's within it here in that day and time? You and I remember that the people of God were inching toward captivity. In fact, the first of the deportments had already happened. And yet, they had fallen so far from where God would have had them to be. And Habakkuk, the great prophet of God, prayed for a revival. May I again read verse 2 of chapter 3. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known. In wrath remember mercy. Habakkuk prayed for a revival of the work of God. Today, why don't we give some thought to at least the topic, the subject of that, and this introductory slide is more or less just a very general and gentle appreciation of this matter of revival. I would hope today that all of us can make a practical, meaningful, compelling, and rather deep application of some of these matters of revival, because we are just talking about the congregational matter itself, but individually, what about me? And what about you? Let's start with a definition. What do we mean by the word revival, and what about the Bible as it employs that term on various occasions? First of all, the definitions at the top of that slide. To bring back to life. Furthermore, to refresh or to renew. There are places in the Word of God in which the concept appears in some very memorable ways. I would call to your attention the book of 2 Kings in chapter 13, verse 21, you notice, for example, there that there was a corpse that was thrown into the burial hole. But interestingly enough, the bones of another were already there, and when the bones of this person that had died touched the bones of Elisha, the being came back to life. That's referred to as a revival. Can you imagine how shocked you and I would be if something like that were to be witnessed or experienced directly? This one that you knew had been dead and touching the bones of another and springs back to life? In Isaiah 57, verse 15, the great one who inhabits eternity is the master of the concept of revival. And so it is in your life or mine if we have an interest in 
and surely we should, and a desire to make real the matter of revival, we'll have to turn to God. I would suggest we aren't talking about the corpse coming back to life, at least in that literal sense. What we're going to consider today is revival in the context of renewal, reinvigoration, the replacement of what once was there but has long since become perhaps gone, and a wish to renew it. For that reason, about the middle of that slide, you may note the following thought with me. It is entirely possible, is it not, for a cause or for a belief at one time to be so fervent and so strong and so filled with passion, and then over the course of time, the interest in it becomes much less due to indifference, due to apathy, due to other features that take one's attention elsewhere, and suddenly that in which one once believed, now one doesn't care as much about it. May I suggest to you that's the very context in which today we too can consider revival. Do you and I need to have the cause of God revived in our hearts? Have we reached a point in life when our service has become a habit, a routine, and we don't really think that much about it? We just assemble when we think we should, and we undergo various things, but our heart really is not so much in it. I would suggest that if that be the situation with you or with me today, we need a revival. Because the work of God has to be more significant to us than that. It has to be more meaningful and more compelling. That revival, as you approach the bottom of that slide, takes us to the scene of the book of Habakkuk, and I pointed you in that direction a moment ago. God's people, the very ones who enjoyed the blessedness of, say, the Ten Commandments and the other features of that old law of Moses, they knew it. It had been a part of their life, and yet Habakkuk prayed for a renewal, a revival, their hearts really weren't that much in it. They were given to a life of characteristic behavior, not pleasing to God. And Habakkuk prayed that they might be revived. Today, do you and I need to be revived? Let's look to the next slide. And let's appreciate then very quickly a step or two before we launch into some appreciable considerations of all of these things for ourselves. The subject of revival occurs more than once in the Bible. I've mentioned Habakkuk's usage of that term. Could I point you to Ezra chapter 9? There we also find another rather interesting and very memorable usage of it. And this one is perhaps all the more telling. Ezra the ninth chapter. Let me begin reading in verse number 8. And now... For a little space, grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in His holy place, that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. There's our word. Here was the man Ezra, who also was approaching the God of heaven and not only expressing thanksgiving to Him, but also wording in a powerful plea, Give us a little reviving. I would think it wise for all of us to appreciate that it has always been needful for God's people when they begin to move in a direction either 
congregationally or individually, in such a way that their commitment has wavered. They were in need of a revival. It is no less needful today. As Ezra prayed for these things, you might keep in mind that the people of that time had come back from captivity, but there was still a need for that nail to cement them and put them fervently and powerfully in the singular place to which they would not be moved. In that context, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58 says, about you and I in need of being steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Thus, you and I may well need a personal reviving. This next slide will thus begin to make a few statements that I hope will be very prompting to each of us. First of all, may we never allow ourselves to be in a position of needing revival, but if we do, if maybe someone today is in that condition, I hope you'll feel motivated by the things we're about to study. To appreciate what you once enjoyed, but what you no longer do. To understand the blessedness of the status in which you once had appreciated, but today, things are not that way. Let's begin that journey on this slide. Indeed, isn't it so that the one who motivates any consideration of need of revival is the devil. He wants you and I to be moved away from the steadfastness of our commitment. He wants us to no longer be faithful to the promises and the assertions that we once had made. And therefore, if He, by various means, can move us in that direction, He will have accomplished what He wanted. Today, as you and I analyze our life, and notice I can't speak for you and you aren't able to speak for me, but as we each analyze where we stand, am I right with God? Do I need a revival in my commitment to Him? As I mentioned earlier today, there was a time when gospel meetings were often at least called revivals. This particular several-day period in which powerful preaching Motivational preaching, compelling preaching was such that it would lead many to respond to the gospel. Sometimes today we don't seemingly see gospel meetings that way. You may proceed through an entire meeting and no public responses. We always hope there's at least private ones. But may we at least now say, this issue in revival, give us a little reviving. Is that the need of your life today? What about me? Let's close that slide like this. I've quickly invited you to notice some of the things that Satan will always encourage. He does not want you or I to take the church very seriously. Let the assembling with the saints be something that, do it if you perhaps it's convenient, but don't see it as necessary. That's the way he wants you to see it. To appreciate that the church and all that she stands for is just another part of life. Don't see it as the utmost significance. Don't see your devotion to God as more than your job, more than the other characteristic activities and chores of life. Just allow God to rest comfortably in that place where you don't appreciate His demands a lot, but you just give Him basically the leftovers of your life. If you and I are in that position today, we need to be revived. Because we're spiritually dead. 
we have already arrived at the point where our commitment to Him has severed the faithfulness that we once had known. Not only that, look at this. Could I ask you a question, and certainly this goes for all of us, how do you look upon the services? Do you just go through the motions as we come? Another two hours on a Sunday, occupied and gone. I wish 12 o'clock would get here. I'm hungry. Isn't there a ball game taking place this afternoon? I really need to mow the yard. That song leader sure does lead too many verses of these songs. I wish that preacher would hush. I've got other places I need to be. I say all of that perhaps with some lightheartedness, but is it the fact that that's more true than we would wish to admit? Can we not give God four hours out of a week? One hour for Sunday morning Bible study, one hour for Sunday morning worship, one hour for Sunday afternoon worship, and one hour on Wednesday night. He gives me 168 hours every week. I can't give Him four. says something about, I think, my commitment if I answer no to that. It says something about where my heart is. I'm happy to give my job 60 hours a week, some people even more. I'm happy to make sure my kids go to every ball game there is imaginable. And I'll go to the movies, and I'll go fishing, and I'll go golfing. But I can't give God four hours a week. I believe it says more about me than it does about Him. The point is, if I'm in that condition, I need a revival. I need to yearn for the blessedness and the power of those services Didn't Paul say in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 29 and 30, that in at least the church at Corinth, when they were failing to partake of the Lord's Supper as they should, he said many of them were dead. They'd fallen asleep. Is that true of me or you today? Oh, I'm here to go through the motions, but it surely doesn't mean what the Lord intended it to mean. He said, without me, you can do nothing, John 15, 5. He furthermore highlighted that in this life. The only thing of ultimate significance is when I close my eyes in death, am I right with God? Everything that I earned by way of job and all the other enjoyments, and no doubt there's many in life, and I'm not saying we shouldn't enjoy those. They are the blessing of God, Ecclesiastes 3. But at the very least, what is my highest priority? As this slide marches onward, it again paints a picture, a number of questions among other things. And could we not now perhaps say this, that if I again, or if you find yourself in that position, or if a congregation of the Lord's people find themselves in this position, then they are in need of revival. They're in need of returning to what they once had enjoyed. Do you remember the day that you were baptized into Christ? Do you remember how innocent and pure you felt? All the things that had been yours in life prior to that day, maybe you had been guilty of lying, maybe you'd been guilty of a number of other things, disobedience to parents, you perhaps had injured or harmed in various ways, and maybe you had even been guilty of a whole host of thoughts that were unwholesome. And you entered the baptismal waters, 
And Jesus promised to forgive every one of them. And not only to not hold them against you, but to forget them. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. To borrow the words of Hebrews 13. It might well be in that connection, that day, the excitement that was yours. What about today? Are you still pure and innocent? Do you have that zeal, enthusiasm that was characteristic of those early days of your Christian, Christian life? All of that begs the question of revival. On that slide, let's march even forward. I mentioned earlier today about some of our features, about some of the thoughts characteristic of this subject. You notice about two-fifths the way on that slide, this reference to the whole heart. Psalm 119, verse number 2. Doesn't there the inspired writer point out that with my whole heart I shall seek thee? As the psalmist made that exclamation, doesn't it ring powerfully with the New Testament? Jesus Himself said, The greatest commandment, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Mark 12, verses 30 and 31. Is that true of me? Is it true of you? Do you love the fact of being a Christian more than your job, more than your house, more than your car, more than your farm, more than the recreational activities of your life, whatever perhaps your favorites are? Our devotion to God must come first. Maybe I need a revival. Maybe that's true of you too. That concept of revival, you'll notice, was etched in the nature of the Old Testament verses in a number of places, but also true of several New Testament ones as well. The whole thought of revival, isn't it sweet? That which was once lifeless and that which was once so much less than what it could be springs back to fullness of energy, springs into fullness of fervor and ardency in life. Now, you and I thrill often at the thought of as winter passes into spring and what once had appeared lifeless now springs to life, embodying, of course, all the blessing of what that life holds. Today, look as we close that slide with several quick observations. Jesus said, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon, Matthew 6, 24. Today, is my heart or yours divided? Am I trying to, in fact, give God a part of it and hold out others for the things I want most? If so, I need to be revived. For Jesus said, I cannot acceptably and pleasingly and satisfactorily serve God like that. Is it any wonder... That's the verse that you and I read in Matthew 6, verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I appreciate very much the prayer that Roger led us in earlier, and as a part of that prayer, he not only, of course, prayed for a number of matters that no doubt rest on our mind and heart, but he also made reference in that to the upcoming election. May we fervently pray, 
that those leaders will be put in place who have an appreciation for the sovereignty of God, who have an understanding of what is needful in order for a nation to be strong, for a people to be as they should be. We need leaders who understand that, but could I suggest we'll not have leaders who understand that if we as a citizenry don't understand it. So may we pray for ourselves that we would be filled with wisdom on what is the truth of God and the meaningful impact that it can have in our lives and the lives of others. The last point on that slide, the final appreciation is this one. Revelation 2, verses 1 and following. There was a congregation that was in need of some of the messages which we have at least discussed so far today. I'll not read all of the references to that congregation, but could I at least read the first couple? In Revelation chapter 2, you may recall that seven churches of Asia were rather quickly addressed, and the messages delivered to them were specific to their circumstances, but to that church at Ephesus, a rather well-known first century city, Jesus had these words to say. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, I know thy works. Lesson number one. First of all, if we are in need of revival, the Lord knows it. We can try our best and we may conceal it from other people. We may give the best impression of hypocritical Christian living there is. We may appear a fine, upstanding Christian, and our mind may well be a rotten mess, wholly given over to what it ought not be. Jesus said, I know your works. I know you inside and out. I know who you really are. You can't pretend with me. Let's read on. And thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. To their commendation, the Lord told the church in Ephesus, you indeed cannot stand those who are evil. They recognize false teaching. Let's read on. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. That church, in fact, not only did they appreciate the possible existence of these, they who had come into their midst, the people at Ephesus recognized them. They knew enough truth and they appreciated this message that they could identify false teaching. That's very commendable. The Lord went on. And hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. There was an element of the congregation that was strong and had been so. And again, that was very complimentary. Verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, in the midst of these wonderful accolades. You've tried people who claim to be apostles and found them false. You've been patient. You have withstood many things. But I do have something against you. There's a problem. What is it, Lord? Verse 4, Because thou hast left thy first love. The fires of excitement and passion, the commitment and dedication that once had been theirs was no longer there. They were in some sense simply going through an outward set of emotions. Does that sound familiar? 
Does it sound like a revival was in order? Let's read on. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Notice, they had been on a wonderful pedestal of faithfulness and truth. You've no longer positioned yourself there. You've fallen. Repent. There was the word they needed to repent. To change their outlook, to let that change their action, to bring in themselves the fires of enthusiasm again, and do the first works. You need to behave like you did back then. What about you and me today? Would it be better in my service to God if I behave now like I did back then? Five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago, or maybe last week? That's a question only you and I can individually answer. But it's a prompting question for the Lord told it to that congregation. Do the first works. Let's finish that verse. Or else I will come unto thee quickly. And I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. I'll come and take the candlestick if you don't repent. There was still an element holding on in faithfulness there, but it was certainly a struggle, and there appeared to be fewer and fewer. May we at the Pippin congregation today analyze ourselves carefully. Are we in need of revival? What about you and I individually? It is our desperate need because at the day of judgment, all things are going to be made known. We need to make sure all is well with us now. And so this next slide points you quickly to another one of the seven congregations in Asia. The church at Laodicea. Jump over to chapter 3 of the book of Revelation. This one, in many ways, it seems to me, is probably the watchword for at least much of the circumstances of our world today. Listen to it. Beginning in verse 14, "...to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works." Just as had been true at Ephesus, it was also true at Laodicea. I know your works." that thou art neither cold nor hot. Once I say that, we all know how the rest of this proceeds. Jesus said, I wish you were either cold or hot, but you're neither one, you're lukewarm, and I'll spew you out of my mouth. That congregation that once apparently had been wonderfully faithful, strong, energetic, enthusiastic, he says, now, you're not cold, you're not hot, you just make me sick. Because notice verse number 17. Here's what they were thinking. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Do you see what a difference the vision of God makes? They thought everything was wonderful. I'm rich. I have everything. When in reality, Jesus says, you don't understand. You're miserable. You're wretched. You're poor. You're blind. And you're naked. The things most meaningful you don't have. And the things you do have and you think are so wonderful and great, I've given them to you, but you worship them. You consider them more than me. 
the blessing of materialism is certainly a wonderful thing from God, but may you and I never allow it to go too far. That we worship and serve the creature more than the Creator. Romans 1, verses 21 to 23. As we come near the close of this lesson this morning, it has been about revival. With each of us in a position to ask the question, where do I stand in this? Do I need reviving? Do you need reviving? If so, that journey could not only begin today, but make a giant leap forward. Repentance is required. Repentance is needed, just like what was told the church at Ephesus, just like what was told the church at Laodicea. As you close that slide, I've pointed you to the book of Acts. Because there you see the opposite situation. Here were churches in Revelation that were having troubles. In the book of Acts, you see people who weren't needing, were not in need of revival. The Word of God multiplied and prevailed. The Word of God reigned supreme in their hearts. And those individuals and their commitment to the Father brings me to the closing question of the lesson today. Habakkuk said, give us a little reviving. What about you and me? Do you need to be revived? Do you need spiritual CPR to be performed on you today? Jesus is the only one that can do it. No man can do it. No group of men can do it. But if you today find yourself in need of revival, why don't you come to His open and inviting arms? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. That statement of Matthew 11, 28 and 29 is the Lord's invitation he, that He presented then, but how meaningful it is today. The need of revival is a personal matter. Of course, the blessing of personal revival will present itself in congregational revival. We want to do what's right. All of us do, surely. If you need to be revived today spiritually, please come. This invitation is extended. It is the Lord's invitation. If there's anyone in this audience that's never become a Christian but knows that you've reached that stage in life wherein that needs to take place, we stand in just a moment and sing, and you may grip that pew so hard that your knuckles will turn white. That's not going to help you on the day of judgment. A feeling, you see, is not going to be enough. For by our works we shall be judged, Revelation twenty-two twelve. And if we could assist you today, realize you may be a bit nervous, but we're here to help you. We'll be honored to listen to your statement of belief as you make confession, and we'll assist you in being baptized into Christ. If you have become a Christian at some former time, but like we've studied today, the fires of Christianity have flamed out. Now it's cold embers at best. You need a revival. You need to come back to your first love, Revelation 2 verse 5. And as the Lord reignites those flames and the passion within them, you can serve the Lord faithfully, a powerful example to your family and all that know you. And not only that, a powerful statement of truth in regard to Jesus the Christ. Today, if we could be of assistance in that regard, 
perhaps praying on your behalf to God that He'll forgive you of sins that you've committed as a Christian. And like we studied in the Bible study hour, maybe you have now reached a point in life you know your prayers are not heard by God. That's a miserable condition to be in because you know it could be so much better. You know what you once had, but that you do not now have. Why don't you come at once while together we stand and sing?